Well, good morning. It's uh, great to be with you. Um, I might be looking around the room a little bit because um, you might have heard that expression, preaching to the choir. Well, the band are now this way, scattered. And so if I'm not looking at you in the screen, I'm preaching to the choir, the band, the technicians and things like that. I'm so pleased to be with you this, this morning. Exodus is an exciting book and we are in our third installment of it. Uh, you may not know uh, the Bible that well. You may be visiting us and church may be new to you. Um, Exodus is the second book in the Bible. I think you'll be aware that you'll know some of the stories, some of the events. You might have even had a children's Bible when you were small. The story of Exodus was retold by Hollywood in the 1950s with Charlton Heston, uh, who was playing the character Moses. I mean, Andrew Blythe, I know you applied for the job, you auditioned very close, you didn't quite get it, but uh, it's an amazing story and many of you will know it. It was retold again in animation in 1998 by DreamWorks, uh, titled The Prince of Egypt. I know loads of you will have seen that. And even Ridley Scott, the incredible director, he tried to make this um, epic um, blockbuster in 2014. It was called Exodus, Gods and Kings. Ridley Scott's made some incredible films, hasn't he? Uh, this one wasn't one of the incredible films, uh, but he did make it. I think he got one star in Rotten Tomatoes. Um, but Exodus is quite a well-known uh, story, and, you, and if you're thinking you haven't read it, you'll still be familiar with lots of parts of it. So here's a little spoiler, spoiler alert. Um, I'm going to whiz through some of the best-known uh, little sections of Exodus, and mainly I'm doing it so you can realize where we are in the story. So you have probably heard about um, when Moses as a baby was put in a basket, floated down the Nile, Pharaoh's daughter found him, and then he was raised in the palace. Last week, you may have heard about the burning bush if you were with us. You may have heard about the ten plagues and the Passover. You may have heard about the crossing of the Red Sea. You may have heard about manna and quail being given by God to feed people in the desert, in the wilderness. You may have heard about water from the rock, which kept them uh, going. You may have heard of the mountain Mount Sinai. Very famous in the middle of Exodus, Exodus 18, 19, that area. You surely have heard about the Ten Commandments. Maybe you've heard about the tabernacle. And that's like, what is that? It's like a tent. You'll hear about it in due course. And the end of the book uh, has it when, when 12 spies are sent across the Jordan. And it's an exciting end to the book of Exodus. It is a familiar story to, to many. It's also one of the most important stories ever told. And, and why? It's important because it's also our story. In Exodus, this is where we discover where God is like, but we also discover what we are like through the book of Exodus. And yes, it's, it's the story of the rescue of the Israelites, but it's also, in one sense, the story of our rescue too. In one sense, all of humanity is in slavery to our own selfishness and our greed. And Exodus pointing to Jesus, showing how he came to set us free. Now, the last two weeks, if you've been with us, Andrew and then Tim covered those opening chapters. And we're going to join the story after Moses has been in the desert 40 years. He's had that encounter with God at the burning bush, the bush that looked like it was burning but wasn't burning up. And he's just been given that commission by God to go back to Pharaoh and demand 
that Pharaoh releases the Israelites. Now, and these are Pharaoh's slaves. This is his workforce. And, and they're building, literally building, his empire, his, his legacy. So we're going to pick it up at the end of chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, uh, that's where to go. Exodus chapter 4. And at the end of that chapter, starting at verse 29, the words hopefully uh, will come on your screens. Exodus 4.29, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. In uh, chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, after Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. So Pharaoh just gets mad and he made, makes the conditions even harder for the Israelites. They were beaten, they had to meet totally unrealistic expectations and then the Israelites take it out on Moses. They're like, this is your fault, thanks a bunch. So we're going to continue in chapter 6 and we rejoin in verse 6 of chapter 6. Moses takes it back to God, this is part of God's answer. God says to Moses, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to, to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you. As a possession, I am the Lord. And listen to how they respond this time. Verse 9 of chapter 6. Moses reported all of this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. They did not listen because of their discouragement, discouragement and harsh labor. There is so much in these chapters. They're so rich. But this morning... I, I felt that God actually wants us to take a look together at the whole area of discouragement. Notice it was only two chapters before when they responded in a very different way. It was uh, chapter 4, verse 29. Moses told the people everything and they believed and they worshipped. Two chapters later, chapter 6, verse 9. Moses tells them, but they don't even listen because they're so discouraged. Now, all of us know something of discouragement, don't we? You, you might be feeling discouraged in some way right now. Sometimes it, it's, it's fairly trivial. Uh, when I remember that tomorrow is another week of homeschooling, I feel, uh, I feel discouraged. I should be feeling motivated, but I don't. Uh, I felt fairly discouraged last night when I shared my notes and my thoughts with Vix, my wife at home, and she had lots to say. And I had many more hours to put in. I felt discouraged. There's the trivial, but there's also the very serious, the very painful. And, and discouragement is, is universal. Every one of us uh, will experience, maybe is experiencing from time, discouragement. And it's recurring. 
If you've had discouragement in the past, it doesn't mean you've had your lot. It's going to come again. We're going to face it. You may be deeply discouraged right now. It might be in the area of finances or because of a relationship. You may be experiencing bereavement, perhaps a miscarriage. It might be some health issue that you just can't seem to shake. Sometimes it's, it's when our best just doesn't seem to be good enough. Maybe you didn't get that grade in an exam, or you didn't get the job or that interview you were longing for. We can feel a, a failure. Discouragement is sometimes on, on global uh, issues, global level, whether it's poverty or pandemics or politics. We can feel so discouraged by so many different things. There, there are probably two things that make discouragement sting most. And that is when prayers seem to be unanswered or when, when we do everything right, but it still goes horribly wrong. And I think that's what the Israelites are feeling right here. Because at the start, when Moses told them the plan, Aaron told them the plan, they believed, they worshipped, they supported Moses in this bold and risky plan to go to Pharaoh. They did everything right. And it went horribly wrong. And, and you know, some of you, just how that feels. And learning to handle discouragement is so key because if we don't overcome it, it will overcome us. When we're discouraged, we, we give up trying. We, we give up hoping. We stop caring. When we're discouraged, we get tired of believing. And I know that some of you are probably feeling like you're right on the verge of, of throwing in the towel with regards to faith. You, you just can't do this anymore. And so this morning, what I'd love to do is I'd love to uh, look and talk through three things I know that I need to do when I'm discouraged. They're all uh, come out of these few chapters uh, in Exodus. So after uh, the burning bush and before the plagues, these chapters mostly about a discourse with Pharaoh and they all come out of there. Three things I know I need to do, and I hope they uh, might be helpful for you as well. So the first thing I know I need to do is to reflect again on who God is and what he's like. Reflect again on who God is and what he's like. It's so important, isn't it, to, that we don't try to reach our conclusion of what God is like based on our experience, based on our interpretation of our experience, especially when that experience has left us discouraged. In those conditions, we do a horrible job of figuring out what God is like. Years ago, I was uh, with a group of guys, and um, the, the kind of the banter and the pranking just went south, and it, it all got nasty somehow. I don't know how, and I don't remember the details, but I remember uh, horrible things were said, and I think a few punches were thrown, and, and I was so gutted at myself partly, and I'm sure it tapped into lots of other things, but I was, I was broken. I, I went out, I found myself outside afterwards, and, and it was a, a starry night, and, and I was walking around a field, and I was looking up, and I was... Praying, shouting, so gutted with God. I was like, where are you? How could you let that happen? Where are you? Show yourself now is kind of my anxious 
prayer, declaration, anger, all of those emotions were coming out. And after I said, show yourself, I heard nothing. Nothing. It was just this total silence. And, and I concluded, well, either God doesn't care or perhaps he's just not there. That was my conclusion based on my experience. I know some of you have been there in that place. You've told me, some of you. And, and that's what happens when our experience shape our understanding of who God is. We've got to go back to what he said about himself. And for Moses, we see the most significant thing for him up to this point is that encounter with God in chapter 3 at the bush. And God revealed his name, I am. That encounter with God, I am. It just basically, in some ways it means I, I am always. I am present. If I'm compassionate, I'm always going to be compassionate. If I'm merciful, that is my very nature. I am. Now to help us understand that, we need to jump to the New Testament. Actually, two weeks ago, Andrew said the book of Exodus is really pointing to Jesus. This is one way the book of Exodus points to Jesus. In John's Gospel, uh, he records Jesus taking that word, that name, I am, as his own, applying it to himself. It's in John chapter 8, verse 58. He's been quizzed by the Jewish rulers about his identity. And he says this in answer to them. He says, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. It, it was, there was no doubt this was a claim to be God. They, they were outraged. They picked up stones. They were about to stone him at the time. Friends, the whole of the Bible is, is this developing, increasing revelation of who God is. And, and Jesus is like this pinnacle, this, this culmination of that, of that revelation. St. Paul wrote about Jesus. He said, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Paul said, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity, all of God, lives in bodily form. One author described Jesus as God with skin on. And I, I love that phrase. I think it's so, so helpful. And so when life is tough, when I'm feeling discouraged, when the Bible says God is love and God is mercy, but that doesn't seem to fit with my experience, we, we need to say, I need to say, Lord, it doesn't feel like you're good. It doesn't feel like you care. But I choose to believe what you have said about yourself. That trumps my experience and my interpretation of my experience. And I choose to believe what I see in the person of Jesus. You see, the Israelites here, they, they looked around at their situation. They, they, may have, they may have looked in at themselves. They didn't look up. They allowed their present crisis to overwhelm them, to consume them. So the first thing that I know I need to do when discouraged is to reflect again on who God is and what he's like, discovering the God of love, the God of compassion, a holy God, a mighty God. That's the first thing I need to do. Maybe that'll help. The second thing is this. Trust again in what God has said and what he's done. 
I don't know if you noticed in our reading, it's in chapter 6. God says the words, I will, seven times. So picking it up from verse 6, he says, I will bring you out of slavery. I will free you. Uh, Sorry, bring you out of Egypt. I will free you from slavery. I will redeem you. I will make you my own people. I will be your God. You will be my people. Uh, I will give it to you, the promised land. The people wouldn't listen. They were so broken. They couldn't see past their pain. Isn't that often the case when we're so discouraged, dejected, depressed, disappointed to such a degree, we just feel empty. That the thing that's crushed our heart just seems to loom like this heavy black cloud with no silver lining and no sense of it passing. Friends, if, if that's you, if you're in that place right now, I'm so sorry. But you are not alone. This is the Israelites' experience. Moses experienced this too. David experienced it. The other prophets experienced it. The pages of the New Testament record how so many have experienced discouragement. So Paul wrote, we're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And you see, the Israelites didn't do the very thing that Paul and his friends did do. See, they trusted what God had said and done. Paul had every reason to quit, to give up on God, let his discouragements take him out of the game. He, he records it, 2 Corinthians 11. He talks about his shipwrecks and beatings and prison and, and so on. It's, it's pretty grim reading. But he trusted in the promises. He trusted that God would never leave him. He trusted that God would work out his purposes through every situation. He trusted that God was in control. That God is good because of what God has said, because of what God has done. I think it's fascinating. The story of Exodus is then retold through the rest of the Bible literally dozens of times. When they're writing, they look back so often and said, he's the one that brought us out of Egypt. And that's their reason to then celebrate. They look back and remember what God has done as well. It feeds their ability. So first, I know I need to reflect again on who he is. Second, I know I need to trust again in what he said and what he's done. And thirdly, and finally, I know I need to submit again to God's God's lordship and his sovereignty. This final one, I think for me, this is probably the greatest challenge. If you've still got your Bible open, would you look at the beginning of uh, Exodus 5? We read these verses, verses 1 and 2. Moses tells Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's reply, verse 2, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? It's a powerful question. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Pharaoh is indignant that somebody should be brash enough to tell him what to do. He's Pharaoh. Basically, he thinks he is a God. I'm not submitting to anyone, he says. No one tells me what to do. Isn't this the question of our time question of our culture. Uh, we live in a world that says, hey, you do you. Y- you decide what's, what's right for you. It's become one of the highest values for us in the West. We live in such a, a radically individualistic culture. It's all about me. A- and self-determination, my right to choose, that's become the benchmark 
of our society. And so we're not immune to this question. Who's the Lord that I should obey him? In fact, when I'm discouraged, I know I can become so self-pitying. I know I can become self-absorbed and in an unconscious kind of way. Something in me asks the same question. It's almost like something in me is saying, well, well, God's not lived up to his end of the bargain, so why should I? You can see the false thinking, can't you? But, but we, we do this. We, we act like God is there to bless me. God is there to answer my, my prayers. And the problem with that, of course, is when discouragement comes, we feel like he's let us down. If I was God, I would never have let that happen. Have you said that? I know I have. I've heard others say it too. Our resolve to live for God can evaporate when we're discouraged. So submitting to his lordship and his sovereignty. In some ways, I know they sound heavy, churchy, fancy words. It basically means saying a prayer and believing our heart that kind of says, you are Lord. You are my God. You're God, I'm not. I surrender to you. Even when I don't understand, even when I hate the scenario, the situation I'm in, it, it's awful, it hurts, I still submit to you. It, it means admitting that God knows best when he tells us how to live. There's a reason. And, and maybe, if you know that maybe you're at odds with some part of the Bible's teaching, chances are this question is at work in you. Who is the Lord? that I should obey him. No one tells me what to do. That, it doesn't take long for that sense of that attitude to stir in me. If you ever find yourself kind of justifying uh, sin, something you know you've done wrong, you know it's, it's not God's plan, if you find yourself justifying it with a kind of a, ah, it's, not, it's not that bad, or come on, everyone, everyone does that, don't they? Nobody's perfect. The chances are what you're really saying is who, who is the Lord that I should obey him? It's a powerful question. Friends, discouragement, and I'm wrapping up here, discouragement is actually an opportunity. It's an opportunity to reevaluate everything. It's, a, it's an opportunity to reset, maybe reboot, maybe realign. Now, now realign with God. I'm not, I'm not saying discouragements come because we're out of alignment. I'm not saying that at all. Discouragements come because life is tough. But I can either stay down or I can get up again. And the best way I know how is to reflect again on who God is and what he's like. To trust again in what he's said and what he's done. And to submit again to his lordship and his sovereignty. So I'm going to pray and the band are going to lead us in a song and we'll pray together after that song but let me just